Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I want to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. This is all about trust now and personal responsibility, just being careful and not being selfish. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The idea of an irreversible move was taken off the table. You can't do that when you have no idea where the virus is going to go. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. Now, as a major evacuation operation continues in Afghanistan, Boris Johnson wants a deadline extension. The Prime Minister is going to ask President Biden to keep US troops in Afghanistan beyond the 31st of August in order to allow flights to continue. He's going to speak to the US President at a virtual meeting of G7 leaders about Afghanistan tomorrow. Biden said talks are taking place about extending the deadline, but the President hopes that they will not have to extend. And the row over high COVID test prices is rumbling on. Almost a fifth of companies advertising tests for travellers face removal from the UK government's list of providers over misleading prices. Health Secretary Sajid Javid says the action and spot checks on companies represents a crackdown on cowboy practices. The GovUK site will also be updated this week to reflect the true cost, the true cost of travel tests. But let's turn back to the issue of Afghanistan, the UK government's response to the crisis. There was a very angry uh, special session of Parliament last week in which many Conservative members of Parliament uh, were quite uh, vitriolic about their own government and how it had responded. Joining us now is Andrew Morrison, who's Conservative MP for South West Wiltshire. Andrew served for 18 years as a medical officer in the Royal Navy. In 2003, he was recalled to serve in Iraq as well. Andrew, welcome to the programme and thanks for being with us today. What, in your view, does the UK need to do now to help the people of Afghanistan? Thank you for having me on. Uh, well, I think, uh, as we heard on Wednesday during, as you say, uh, uh, a lively session uh, of Parliament, uh, there's grave disappointment uh, with what has happened. The UK's control over this, obviously, is fairly fairly small. And uh, what's happened really has been the direct consequence of President Biden deciding to carry on with a policy uh, set in place earlier this year by... President Trump, very disappointing because uh, President Biden said America's back very famously when he was elected. Well, it doesn't seem to be the case, does it? So we are, I'm afraid, in the position of having to follow on from a decision that's been made elsewhere, which is pointing. What we have to do is to continue trying to get those uh, non-Afghans uh, out who are entitled and those who have supported us and are therefore at grave risk from the Taliban. And uh, I'm very pleased that we've had some success in that. But these things do take a long time, hence the request uh, for US forces to stay, without which I'm afraid the UK can't. Uh, and that, that, will, that will mean uh, that we can get as many people out as possible. But I think that'd be realistic. 
Is that the case? Is there nothing that the other countries could have done without without the US? Are they just they're just too important in terms of Afghanistan to, for for other countries to to go their own way to to do anything different to the to the US? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I have to say, with respect to my colleagues uh, in the Commons, we heard a whole load of nonsense on Wednesday about the ability of the UK to go it alone. We simply can't. Uh, the US is the only country uh, within our sort of broad alliance that has the strategic reach and the enablers necessary to do things safely in a uh, hostile environment like Afghanistan. So the answer is no, we can't. We are entirely dependent upon the U.S., in my opinion, uh, and uh, that is why that link between uh, the Prime Minister and the President is so vitally important in trying to persuade the U.S. to uh, keep this operation open for as long as we can to get as many of those who are entitled and who are at risk out as possible. So on that basis, as you say, you don't think we could have stayed in without the Americans, but is there a way in which uh, Britain, knowing what was coming up, could have handled it any differently? Could uh, Britain have perhaps tried to find a way of staying in a little bit longer to try and ensure the right people got out, perhaps found ways of trying to prop up the Afghan government in the final days? Was there anything we could have done differently? Oh, well, the, re- the, the retrospective scope is always a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's always easy to be wise with hindsight, Uh, The straight answer is without the U.S., no. Uh, The U.S. is uh, primus into Paris. It really is still, uh, despite this recent retranchement, um, the the, the driving force in matters of this sort. Uh, The U.K., of course, has been involved. People have been leaving Afghanistan since earlier this year when it became clear the situation was likely to get worse. Uh, So I think the the straight answer is we, of course, uh, uh, non-U.S. members of NATO, uh, are forced now to think about how we can act collectively uh, to um, make sure that we can um, pull something out of the fire. Um, but the action our American friends and allies have taken, I'm afraid, is deeply reprehensible in my view. Uh, and in that respect, I very much agree with uh, former Prime Minister Tony Blair, unusually. And on that subject, the, the Boris Johnson is convening a special meeting of the G7 uh, tomorrow to discuss discuss Afghanistan. What should world leaders be be looking to do? What should they be looking to agree at that meeting? Well, we we need some sort of strategy going forward uh, that uh, enables us to mitigate the worst consequences of Afghanistan. So they are dealing with the refugee crisis, which, of course, is looming, dealing with a civil war, which, of course, we've seen uh, reported in its early stages in in the northern part of the country, uh, dealing with the exit of uh, narcotics, which is the only way really uh, the Taliban are going to be able to support themselves, so increased criminality, uh, and dealing with the wider consequences for the region. So uh, the uh, benefit of the strategic patience in Afghanistan that we've seen up to this point has been that it's kept a cap on a very fragile neighbourhood. That is no longer the case. Uh, The area is a complete tinderbox, and somehow or another, uh, the um, like-minded countries that want to ensure that life is worth living in Afghanistan and that Afghanistan doesn't pose a threat to the rest of us have got to devise some way collectively of trying at least to limit the damage that this recent decision by the U.S. has undoubtedly caused. I don't think it's going to be easy, but I'm very pleased that the U.K. has taken some early leadership as president of the G7. And as I said in the Commons on Wednesday, I think somebody's got to, got to act as the convener for this, some have got to be the pen holder uh, in diplomatic parlance for this. And I think the UK is well placed to be in that position.
But, but Andrew, isn't the problem, I mean, effectively you're saying, well, something has to be done, something must be done. But, but as you say, it's extremely difficult. You can't engage particularly necessarily with the Taliban administration. You can't necessarily even guarantee what the neighbours of Afghanistan are going to do. Many of them are not members, of, obviously, of the G7, are not involved in this effort. So isn't it almost a council of despair? I, oh, I would never go that far, but I think it's extremely difficult, which is why I very much regret the underlying decision uh, in, this, in this crisis. I wish it had never been made. I wish we had had more strategic patience, because what was happening actually was kind of working uh, at, 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 at little cost to the West uh, in, in recent times. Um, and it seems to me that whilst uh, it was unlikely we were going to turn Afghanistan into a Jeffersonian liberal democracy, uh, within a generation, if at all, uh, at least it kept a cap on the situation and prevented some of the worst atrocities in terms of human rights, treatment of women, a threat to the wider region, criminality that we're afraid we're now going to be seen unleashed on the poor, poor benighted people of Afghanistan, which will have dire consequences for the rest of us. Uh, now, that isn't a solution or a blueprint for the future, but I think what we now have to do is again be modest in our aspiration, try to work out how we can limit the damage that this is going to cause. Of course, it means looking at, at countries like uh, Pakistan, uh, where, who I'm afraid are going to get a lot of the, uh, the refugees from this crisis, and work out how we can, with those who have experience in these matters, for example, Turkey, uh, try to make life bearable for those people and resettle those uh, who we need to resettle. So it's a long-term thing, and I don't think it finishes on the 31st of this month. The Taliban have made a number of promises that things will be different, a little bit different this time to the last time they ran Afghanistan, particularly on things like women's rights. Do, do you buy that or do you think that's, that is, that those are worthless promises? Well, you'll forgive me based on past experience for being a little sceptical, but we live in hope, don't we? Uh, so far, we haven't seen the sort of worst atrocities that have been associated with this group uh, in the past. Uh, so uh, here's hoping, um, but um, I think we have to proceed on the basis that things will get pretty unpleasant uh, in Afghanistan before too very long uh, and uh, uh, gear, gear our actions uh, accordingly. Um, but, you know, it is in the interest of the Taliban uh, to uh, try to come to some sort of accommodation uh, with, uh, with, with the West um, financially uh, and in every way imaginable. Uh, so we do have levers we can use, and I'm, I've no doubt that they will be uh, employed, and hopefully uh, we will get better behaviour going forward. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. What about the wider implications, though? Because an issue in this seems to be people regarding the U.S. as no longer a reliable ally. Uh, many people feeling that this has been demonstrated by what happened. Should Britain reconsider its strategic positioning on this basis? I don't think we can, really. Um, we're, we are completely, and I, in my opinion, wedded to um, the transatlantic uh, uh, relationship that we have with the U.S. Um, it's served us well in the past, I hope, going forward as well. There is no doubt, though, that the U.S. has taken a real hit in terms of its reputation. 
uh, over this. Quite extraordinary. We weren't really expecting this, I don't think. Um, and its language subsequently has been far from helpful. So I think there's going to have to be some repair uh, operation done. Um, but I would be very reluctant to use this as a reason for uh, pulling back from our historic relationship with the United States. And those who think we should start relying, for example, on a European form of defence uh, are, are, I think, delusional. Uh, the only country within the alliance that has kept us safe all these years with the strategic reach uh, that is necessary to conduct serious operations uh, at remote and hostile locations is America. Uh, and we need to make sure that we do everything in our power as, um, as, a, as, a, as a good friend of America uh, to ensure that she remains engaged uh, with, uh, with crises of this sort. You know, we look to leadership uh, to, to the US. Uh, we really do. And without that, I think uh, we've got a problem. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. Now, the economy grew at the slowest pace since the height of the lockdown in February. IHS market survey showed a reading of 55.3 in August, well below the 58.7 predicted by economists. And that reflected the lowest level of activity in six months for services and manufacturing. Purchasing managers blamed the drop on staff shortages that left them unable to meet demand. Well, two weeks of activism by climate change protest group Extinction Rebellion starts today. The group says it will, t will be taking to London streets to disrupt the city. Demonstrations are scheduled in central locations, including St James's Park and Piccadilly Circus, plus more due to take place in both North and South London. They're calling for an immediate end to all new fossil fuel investment by the government. The Times is reporting that households with gas boilers are to face levies to fund low-carbon alternatives, as the government works out how to get to its net-zero target. The paper says the heat and building strategy will conclude that gas users could face higher bills as we move towards lower-carbon solutions, such as hydrogen boilers and heat pumps. The government has said it will protect the most vulnerable consumers. Well, let's discuss the latest on COVID and the vaccine programme. Another 49 people have died in the UK after testing positive for the virus. There are just over 32,000 new positive test cases uh, reported in the latest 24-hour period. There's also anecdotal evidence suggesting that fully vaccinated people are becoming infected as the Delta variant proves tricky to combat. And it's even causing trouble in Australia and New Zealand with their uh, so-called zero COVID strategy. Well, all that is making countries like the UK and the US contemplate the possibility of booster jabs. Britain is to offer antibody tests for the first time in a programme that aims to find out more about how much natural protection people have after getting the virus. Let's talk now to Mark Jitt, who's Professor of Vaccine Epidemiology at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Mark, thanks for being with us. Welcome to the programme. Now, the government has said booster jabs are likely to start here in the UK next month. Do you think we'll need to roll that programme out more widely? Um, well, what what do you mean by more widely? I mean, if the, the JCVI has suggested that if booster jabs are available, there is a sort of um, initial target group they suggest, which is people above 50. So um, I... I suppose the question is really, do you think they need to be uh, right across the population as a general scheme, booster jabs? Well, the tricky thing is we don't have much information about these booster jabs. Um, what, because um, we, we, we don't have a lot of data yet. I mean, it, it's undoubtedly they will probably do some, they will have some benefit, but how much benefit they'll have is 
we're not certain and whether people actually need them, whether actually most people who have had their two shots of the, you know, the, the AstraZeneca or um, BioNTech vaccines are already quite well protected. That's something we're not sure about yet. So it's very difficult to make these decisions. On an individual level, I'm sure if you have a booster, you'll be probably slightly better protected. But on a sort of global level, how much benefit we'll be getting from them? Will it be, will it be worth it? That's quite a difficult decision to answer right now. What's the latest thinking on herd immunity? Have we sort of given up on that? It seems that uh, as we as we've we've moved on in the pandemic, the level of herd immunity which we which we're sort of targeting or would like to reach has got higher and higher. And almost now it seems with the Delta variant, it's sort of almost impossible to reach. Yeah, that's exactly it. Because the Delta variant is so transmissible. With current vaccines, we're probably um, unlikely to ever be able to protect. The population completely through vaccination alone. So really what we can use the vaccines for is to protect people from getting severe disease. They are very good at doing that. So anyone who is vaccinated is very well protected from, you know, um, getting the kind of disease that might put them in a ventilator or even um, kill them. It'll be, I mean, the vaccines are also slowing down the rate at which COVID is spreading, but I think it will be virtually impossible to use vaccines alone to reach herd immunity. Is this also the reason we're seeing what they call breakthrough um, transmission now, so that people who've had double jabbed uh, nonetheless do manage to get the disease more perhaps than have been expected? Um, yes, I mean, we knew all along that the vaccines we have protect very well against severe disease. So if you look at the people in hospital, the you know vast majority of them are people who have not had two doses yet. But not the vaccines don't protect so well against milder infections. So if you look at cases, lots of them, um, lots of the cases are among people who have had their two doses because they're, they're, they're not protecting um, fully against milder disease, especially by the Delta variant. Should vulnerable, vulnerable people still be concerned about kind of living normal life, given that there are, there's plenty of this virus still spreading around the community? Well, I think there are people who may want to be cautious. I mean, the best way they can protect themselves is make sure they have their two doses of vaccine. But, I mean, there are certain um, people with certain um, medical conditions who don't respond quite as well to the vaccine. They still get a good level of protection, but not as high as, you know, someone um, with, 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 with uh, um, sort of like with, without those conditions. So I, I, I would say there might be some level of caution they want to they they they, they want to continue to have um, even after getting two doses of vaccination. So that sort of caution would be, for example, perhaps um, masking in certain areas, not being in, in in situations close to lots of other people where there isn't ventilation. Are these the kind of things that should still be in play? Yes, well, I mean, it's difficult to give sort of like personal clinical advice, but those are the kind of things that um, that well, um, pe- more vulnerable people might want to look out for. I mean, hopefully in the long run, we'll, you know, keep having better and better vaccines. And I mean, we, we, we don't want someone to feel that they can never, ever go back to a normal life. But we are at the point now where, you know, where, where we've got the first generation of vaccines. We're working out how well they do. Um, the, the number of cases is is very high in the UK right now, even though the number of deaths and hospitalizations is low because most people have been vaccinated. So this is a 
sort of situation where they, they might want to um, exercise some degree of caution. Um, the, the Delta variant took over incredibly uh, rapidly in, in the UK. I think it's now 99% of cases or, or thereabouts. What do I don't without being too gloomy? What do we need to look out for with the with the next uh, the next variant where it comes along? Could could it be a lot worse? Are there any signs of new variants emerging yet around the world? Well, there are new variants emerging all the time, but so far, I mean, none of them um, other than the ones um, we've seen in the UK um, for for a while have been labelled as variants of concern, which means that, you know, we we, we think that they might be more transmissible or, uh, you know, um, be more likely to cause death. So uh, we do know that this coronavirus is one that does mutate. So it's not impossible we'll see other variants in the future. What about the testing for antibodies, which the government is now talking about uh, as offering? Does that have any any benefits, really? Um, well, we do know that if people have been um, fully vaccinated, they are um, they have good protection against severe disease, and not all that protection is necessarily reflected in antibodies. But at the same time, I mean, if someone it, if someone does have antibodies, whether it's through vaccination or through um, getting infected um, through the through natural infection, then uh, we do know that they are they are better protected against um, future infections. So it depends what um, what what how we interpret the results of a positive antibody test. And could that help us uh, tackle the, the the pandemic going going forward? Do you think it's useful to to do more antibody testing? Um, well, I, th- I think the most useful test really is the test to say to see if someone's infected right now. I mean, that, that, those those are the people that we can say, well, please do stay at home and you know um, mo- mo- monitor your health. So it's the um, the rapid tests we have at home, the lateral flow tests, or the um, sort of like the better tests that um, the even more sensitive tests like the PCR test that they can get. That that's the most important test. The antibody tests might be useful in the future um, to say, you know, how well have you responded to a vaccine, for instance, or have you already been infected in the past? I think they do have a role to play. But um, the most important test is the test that says, are you infected right now? Do you agree with the concept that basically this is a disease which will be endemic, that will simply be around for the foreseeable future, as it seems to be accepted now in Australia and New Zealand, that their plan to get rid of it entirely is simply not going to work? Overall, globally, that's what we're going to have to get used to. Yes, I think with the the Delta variant, unfortunately, has really been a game changer. And it, it's really meant that it's not going to be um, possible, actually, to, 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 to control this, even with a high level of vaccination. However, I think it, I mean, it is, um, I think many countries are still, um, we, you know, doing their best to keep numbers low until their populations have been fully vaccinated. We are in a really fortunate position in the UK because, um, well, very large proportions of the population have been vaccinated, and um, uh, but that's not the case everywhere in the world. So I, I, I think there there will continue to be a role for. Um, countries having um, measures in place until they can get that high level of vaccine coverage and even if they can't protect uh, um, the populations from the virus circulating they can at least um, protect most people from getting severe disease. Bloomberg Westminster listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.